Topics of discussion today will include an overview of the South Asian population's needs and cultural contributors to mental health, family structure and cultural perspectives on lifestyle, as well as stigma of mental health will also be um, brought to your notice. Participants will be able to understand cultural sensitivity to South Asian clients' needs in relation to mental health treatment. This panel will also focus on South Asian immigration to the United States and its impact on an immigrant's mental health and well-being. This panel will also focus on acculturation, barriers, causes, and levels, seeing as how acculturation is an inevitable part of any South Asian's journey here in the United States. Now to begin, let me introduce the panelists we have here today. We have Ms. Payal Sahani. She is a mental health clinician and a licensed clinical social worker. She's licensed in Ohio and California. She's the founding executive director of Sahas for a Cause with 22 years of experience in the field. Next, we have Matab Siddiqui, ACSW and mental health program advocate as well as a therapist at the South Asian Network. Last but not least, we have Dr. Seema Arora, licensed clinical psychologist serving in, in the healthcare field for more than 25 years. She's been providing therapy to the survivors of domestic violence for the last several years as well. Okay, panelists, are you ready? Yay. Okay. So my first question is because I see this very often in the South Asian community itself. There's a confusion with my peers that are non-South Asian as well. It's um, who are South Asians uh, and from what country do they hail from? That's a very good question. <clears throat> Let us first understand who South Asians are. So people coming from countries like Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Bhutan, India, Maldives, Nepal, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka. In addition to these eight countries, the community also includes members of South Asian diaspora, um, past generations of South Asians who originally settled in other parts of the world, including the Caribbean, Africa, Europe, Canada, and the Middle East, and other parts of Asia. Usually, South Asians are underscored as monolith, whereas they are very diverse. Each country in South Asia has its own culture, national language, religion, rituals, and customs. Even if we talk of India, from where I am, I can tell you that there are 29 states. Each state has its own language, culture, and food habits, even very different features and skin colors. South Indians are very different from North Indians who are very different from East Indians. It is important for clinicians to know which part of South Asia the client has their route from um, and not falling prey to the monolithic viewpoint of considering their client as just South Asians. Pay attention to the diversity in terms of religion, language and food habits and in addition to the ethnic dressing. Inquire, what are they wearing? Is it a hijab? Is it a pagdi? Is it a sari? Is it a suit? Or is it a bindi? Okay, thank you, Ms. Sahani. So um, what I'm getting is that even though we're here to discuss South Asia as a whole, um, there are um, various different 
um, macro cultures that are different from each other within the South Asian diaspora. And to inquire about those differences is important because it might tell a different story from the next South Asian that we might see in the mental health field. Okay, well, that being said, I do want to kind of um, scratch at this one particular aspect of South Asians as well, which is immigration. Now, being made aware of the fact that South Asians as a whole have become the second largest minority group in the United States. 5.4 million South Asians live in the United States, and these are statistics um, called out by South Asian Americans leading together. Are you able to describe the various ways in which immigration occurs for South Asians and perhaps the challenges that might come along with it? Absolutely. Um, South Asians immigrate to United States of America in various ways and for varied reasons. They immigrate to United States of America for education, work, or to, you, to reunite with their family members. They come to this country on various different visas or for various different reasons. It, it can be student visa, it can be work visa, it can be family visa, visitor visa, or they can be here to seek asylum. I would like to highlight a few of these immigration scenarios. Um, I would like to start with H1 visa. This is a critical status to know for a mental health clinician as it can turn out to be a trigger for many mental health conditions. H1 is a non-immigrant visa that allows the person to work. Dependents on H1 come on H4 visa and they can be spouses, parents or children. Some critical issues that we see with visa holders like H1 visas, they are usually comparatively recent immigrants and hence finance is tight. Work hours are longer, disparity in wages, paid less than American citizens sometimes, mostly submissive at work as they want to maintain the security of their sponsorship. Whereas on the other hand, H4 visa holders are unable to work, study, or even get their social security card for a long time. So just imagine what a childlike situation is created for this visa holder. We see many clients with this visa status who suffer from depression, anxiety, isolation, and related conditions like eating disorders or body image issues. Due to such pressure and stress of staying in this country, the relationship of this new immigrant couple suffers, leading to conflicts and then mental wellness issues. Students like F1, F2 visas, they come here with the ambition of achieving higher education. For uh, Some of them take heavy loans to do this. Hence, they have a pressure of proving themselves, and these foreign students are also dealing with adjustment issues to their peers due to language, accent, difference in dressing sense. They also struggle with food choices and sparkly miss their family support. This group of students are vulnerable to mental health conditions like low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, loneliness, and sometimes even personality disorders. Also, while talking about students, I like to bring our focus on the second generation youth. 
who might struggle with intergenerational conflict due to difference in the speed of acculturation and hence should also be considered as vulnerable population and might be in need of mental health care in an educational setting. They are known to suffer from trauma, which has been inflicted by witnessing the trauma of their parents' generation. Other um, immigration status to consider is conditional green card, very commonly seen in transnational marriages. This is an important issue to consider during intake, as most of the time the participant is not aware of their visa situation and that their uh, green card is conditional and it's not permanent. Conditional green card needs to be renewed at a set uh, time. Otherwise, they will go, they will become out of status and then eventually illegal. The next and the very important status to know is undocumented. Against the profound myth, a sizable number of South Asians are undocumented. As um, of 2017, data shows that more than 700,000 South Asians were undocumented. Reasons can be several, like overstay on visa, abuse situations, or um, just trying to seek asylum. Um, I hope I tried to answer your question. I can go on and on, but you know, um, thank you for the time. <laughs> thank you, Ms. Sahani. Um, as we can see, immigrating here um, and each of its path has its own challenges and it might um, show like a different trauma on um, your South Asian clients. So thank you for opening the book on immigration. Um, it was quite elaborate. Um, now that we've spoken about immigration, I'm just curious to know, um, Dr. Seema Arora, um, that what is a clinical presentation of a South Asian client in their practice and certain cultural contributors other than immigration that you might see to their mental health issues? Sure, thank you for the question. Um, and yes, cultural sensitivity and understanding is very important to conceptualize the various scenarios that present in the clinical um, domain. And therefore are mandatory for correct diagnosis as well as planning the treatment for successful therapeutic outcomes. So I have been providing therapy for South Asian clients, including survivors of domestic violence for the past several years. So uh, the symptoms, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, low self-esteem, self-doubt, and shame are commonly reported by clients seeking therapy across cultures. But in the South Asian client, it is very critical to have the understanding from the cultural beliefs which have been entrenched over generations. So these include rigid boundaries within families, and society at large, stemming from the patriarchal system and untreated pathologies in the family, clients usually shy away from seeking timely help because of the huge stigma and shame as he or she deals with mental health challenges at a personal level, at the family level, and at large in society in the South Asian society. So I'll share uh, a couple of cases just to highlight uh, what I um, 
that just expressed. So the first case is actually uh, would be a good uh, continuation from uh, Ms. Sani's uh, about the visas. So this is uh, about a couple who are H1 and H4 visa. So um, I'm gonna just um, elaborate the whole case. So this is, uh, I'm gonna use a pseudonym of course for confidentiality. Uh, so Sheila is a 34 year old mother of five year old twins with special needs. She moved to the US 10 years ago with her husband with a work permit H1. As an accompanying spouse, she has a H4. So of course, all the limitations to get any benefits. So she reached out to Sahas uh, um, for legal counseling and to help with divorce hearing and child custody hearings. So in her first in intake by, our, by the social worker, it was determined that her she needed legal help, she needed language interpreter and, and therapy. Uh, so that's how she was referred to me and her first session with me, she reported that she felt no pleasure, was fearful, her, that her kids might be taken away, felt like giving up and was experiencing feelings of shame and embarrassment. She had nowhere to turn for support. She was ignorant and how, she did not know how to navigate and tap into social resources and neither, neither had the legal um, status to kind of uh, venture out. She did not have the financial ability to seek formal legal help. The court system was overwhelming and frustrating, and the limited language expression was a big hurdle for her, as she was not able to explain her situation clearly. She reported, uh, Sheila reported in these therapy sessions that she had an arranged marriage 15 years ago. The couple enjoyed a healthy relationship in the first year of marriage and then slowly their relationship began to suffer. The reason for these ruptures experienced in the relationship was the inability to conceive uh, and medically it was found that the problem was because of the husband. And here's where we see the little cultural nuance appear. Uh, so um, the husband, for him, it was very important that she did not share this information with the family or friends. He insisted that she get pregnant with IVF. The motivation was, his motivation was to establish that he was a virile male, not even though he did not really care to have children, but it was more to establish his masculinity. So, and he felt anger. Uh, it was because of his own perceived inadequacy, which was misplaced onto her and by, continually blaming, putting her down, having angry outbursts, insinuating that she was not a woman enough to make him happy. So after five years, the husband decided to move to America and get uh, and one visa. His motivation was mainly to get IVF treatment in the US and have children and prove to himself and his family and friends that they were a healthy couple. So. Sheila was overwhelmed and reluctant to go for the procedure um, as uh, she was not even excited about having children because of the poor relationship uh, and the abuse she was suffering. So, and he continued to be abusive and occasionally physical, physically abusive also. He worked for long hours once he got to this country for 
to survive with minimal wages and he was hardly ever home. Their relationship was strained. Even though he paid the rent, he moved out after one year as he was having relationship with another woman at work. This continued for years till she agreed for IVF for five years exactly and had the twins who are five years old now. But the emotional abuse did not stop and he continued to ignore her and the children. He would visit unannounced on weekends and uh, finally filed for a divorce. And the children were twins and were evaluated to be on the autism spectrum. Sheila faced numerous challenges in these last five years um, as being a single parent of special need kids. Um, she, however, focused, her time was consumed by them, and but she slowly isolated herself as she, uh, again, felt the stigma of her children uh, behaving, uh, you know, uh, acting out all the time in social gathering. She felt inadequate socially as, again, separation and divorce from her husband was a matter of shame within the society, so she tried to shy away and isolate so if we see uh, the uh, financially, socially, emotionally challenged with lack of support and had no family or friends to turn to. So these last five years have taken a toll of being a single parent of special needs, uh, kids without any support. So like we can see, this case exemplifies some of these challenges faced by our first generation immigrant. So which would be visa status, inability to access social services, lack of information to find resources, limited language expression, financial difficulties. So not seeking mental or health or seeking emotional support as mental health is a taboo and a stigma in the society, in the South Asian society. Going to people within the community to religious places or who are not trained mental health professionals and who themselves are following the outdated beliefs or are ignorant. So the patriarchal norm, just to conclude, the patriarchal norms coupled with belief that making a home and keeping everyone happy is the responsibility of the woman. So defined roles, strict boundaries added to her difficulty and challenges. So this is um, the first case, uh, which I I'll go on to my second case. Uh, which kind of exemplifies both the generation, from, uh, first generation as well as uh, children born here. So this is a 21 year old female, uh, female a young lady which who seeks therapy for anger management. So she's born and brought up in Southern California to a middle class family with a traditional value system, father engineer, mother homemaker. The first session with me was a very angry outburst, challenging the therapist, that is me, uh, that I did not address her properly. After three months of therapy, she admitted that she had lied to get free therapy. She was covered under her father's insurance and she had received mental health services and had been diagnosed as borderline personality disorder. Her justification was that she did not want to be by. She did not want the therapist, that is me, to be biased, 
And in her words, I was testing how good you are. It was, that was kind of the tone. And um, so I'm gonna just share my conceptualization based on several therapy sessions and over months, how she developed this personality, this order. So she grew up in a very conservative home with father as the head of the household. Both the parents had very rigid beliefs about parenting. Intergenerational communication broke down as it did not allow for the accommodation of host culture. She was expected to be obedient and not ask questions. A lot of norms growing up in a Southern California uh, society outside in school um, were non-negotiable. Like for example, wearing clothes, which were not modest and traditional. She was conflicted most of the time and was trying to fit in with the host culture and navigate the culture in her home. So growing up with these conflicted, ambiguous feelings and thoughts was an everyday challenge or her life. There was no family discussion between her and the parents. Authoritative parenting with no middle ground led to her rebelling behaviors. In her teenage years, she was not allowed to go on dates and was strictly instructed by her mother. Uh, in her words, as she repeated it, do not go near boys or touch boys, as she put it. In this case, because of extreme rigid boundaries, she engaged in lying, and which became a survival mechanism for her. And when caught, um, she lashed out in anger. And in fact, uh, over years, she developed so extreme anger and rage towards her parents. So finally, I think it developed into a borderline personality disorder. So parents were reluctant to seek mental health services, even though they felt powerless with her rage episodes starting in the teenage. Um, as for them, it translated to shame and personal reputation and family reputation. And so so it, they just said they wanted to, uh, to almost kick her out as in one of my family interviews. Um, so uh, just to, as highlighted by these two cases I have mentioned, I think there is a myriad of concept which surface again and again in different cases. So according to my experience, some of these contributors to mental health in South Asians are patriarchal views, joint family, dating and sex before marriage is not acceptable, arranged marriages, divorce is a taboo word, seeing mental health is not, uh, seeking mental health is not a um, choice but because of stigma and shame associated. So I feel there is no adjustment for the changing gender roles with current times and the necessity to integrate with the host culture for raising healthy children and family is not appreciated uh, in some families. So the lack of awareness and education remains a void which needs to be addressed. Okay. So thank you, Dr. Seema. Um, and thank you for explaining a unique journey for both your clients. I think your conceptualization can better, um, or at least give uh, a start to mental health clinicians trying to get more culturally sensitive, you know, and becoming prepared when they do treat a South Asian client. Um, so yeah. Okay, so now that we've discussed cultural sensitivity and the barriers within which a South Asian client may restrict themselves from getting help or seeking help, 
I would like to ask Madhab, um, do you think uh, any cultural expectation or is there any deterrence other than what Dr. Seema has talked about or if you'd like to elaborate on what she spoke in um, seeking mental health? Yeah, Zeal, that's a great question. And, and Dr. Seema kind of highlighted a lot of the themes that we see within our clients uh, in the South Asian culture. And I also wanted to add that there are prohibited views due to our culture. And that means kind of what Dr. Seema already mentioned, that ignoring that mental health doesn't even exist, that it isn't pertinent to overall well-being. Physical health has an importance but mental health doesn't. And as we all know that mental health and physical health both go hand in hand and they're both just as important as one another. Um, in fact, there aren't even words to define issues such as depression in Hindi and Urdu in a lot of South Asian languages because there is quite literally no concept of it. Um, that alongside uh, the importance of religion within the South Asian culture. Um, once these issues arise, uh, mental health symptoms or mental health uh, issues arise, um, a lot of the community members, a lot of family members are uh, quick to just say, why don't you just pray away your problems? Um, you need to pray away these symptoms. You're going through these difficulties because God is testing you in some way and you need to just pray it away. And as clinicians, we know that uh, uh, faith and, and religion is, is definitely important in, in therapy and healing. Um, while we also know that going to therapy, doing the work is also important to managing mental health issues. And then we also see um, some things that were also mentioned previously already, somatic symptoms, um, physical symptoms that are that are attached to mental illnesses that are commonly either just completely dismissed or misunderstood. Um, in fact, the migration to a, a new country cannot only lead to mental health issues, but we see many instances of unresolved trauma. And the tricky thing about trauma is that it is embedded within our ep epigenetics. Um, so research has shown that effects of trauma can actually be intergenerationally passed on through our DNA. Um, so a lot of the South Asian culture has experienced a lot of historical trauma that has never really been resolved, addressed because of the taboos that we see of not uh, talking about these issues. For example, um, if there's parts of Pakistan that uh, where there's cases involving domestic abuse with husbands or in-laws, and that's essentially considered just domestic and an internal matter, um, and it's deemed acceptable within the culture. And when that, that mentality is then shifted, when people migrate over here, uh, and we see our South Asian clients come in, that same mentality of uh, it's an internal matter, we don't discuss this, we don't report this, is, is still prevalent. Um, and that's something that we're kind of trying to uncondition um, when we're working through therapy. And even in couples therapy, you'll see that a lot of women um, are reluctant to speak up because men do the talking. And then there's that common theme of the patriarchal system again, creating barriers for, for, for females who are trying to receive um, any sort of support or assistance. They're not supposed to talk about these issues. Uh, women are supposed to be quiet, subdued, and it's, especially if it's a family or internal matter, you definitely don't talk about it because there's such a huge element of shame um, within our culture, the South Asian culture, um, and preserving the family name and preserving the image and making sure that everything is okay. And, and a suggestion that I would have for any type of clinician or any provider that is working with South Asian clients 
Um, something that my organization has found uh, helpful and successful is that we try to meet our clients where they're at. Um, of course, maintaining boundaries and keeping professional at all times. But also we found that um, a lot of our outreach that we're doing with clients um, surrounds going out to their uh, faith centers or their community centers and reaching them one-on-one -on -one and just letting them know that these services are available to them. And we want to create these dialogues and we want to let them know that there's a safe space for them to talk about these issues. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's definitely multifaceted things, but uh, the more dialogue and safe space that we're creating for, for our community, I think the more we're seeing that there, uh, our community members are more uh, willing to come forward and, and seek services. Okay. Okay, so basically bringing more awareness and um, definitely being culturally sensitive and prepared towards these cultural nuances that you mentioned, uh, that especially patriarchal, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know how to say the hindrance um, that, you know, uh, creates this barrier for your South Asian client to, or during the process of therapy as well. Okay. Thank you, I thought that was a very extensive explanation. Um, within um, that diaspora of South Asian communities, um, can you please tell us, uh, Ms. Pyle Sahani, uh, what immigration looks like and how it impacts the mental health care? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Zeal. Um, so as discussed earlier at the beginning of our uh, panel presentation, uh, South Asians immigrate to United States of America in different capacities and for different reasons. Each category has their independent sets of issues that they struggle with, which makes it difficult for them to adjust, leading to unbalanced health, um, missing home, culture, festivals, cousins, parents, friends, in short, a very strong support system. Coming from a collectivistic culture of combined families to adjusting to a majority individualistic culture with very little support system. South Asians struggle with isolation in foreign countries with language barriers and lack of understanding of their rights and identity. This can lead to issues like financial pressure, work-related stress, overburden of responsibilities. May these responsibilities be of their older parents, their children, spouse. Um, also, they, there are issues of role reversal. When the older parents migrate to reunite with their kids, uh, or their children, now the children are in the capacity of guiding and leading and providing, and which causes a lot of family conflict and issues. There are relationship conflict between couples, and the scenarios can be that both are working long hours, don't have time for each other, or one is working and the other is homebound. So then again, this can also lead to a conflictual situation. Compared to other clients, I recommend a clinician to focus a lot on history taking when it comes to a South Asian client. Due to all of the ways the South Asian clients can undergo pressure, it is imperative that the clinician does history taking, a detailed history taking. And some of the points that I will mention and Definitely, it's not an exhaustive list or points. Uh, definitely focus a lot on immigration journey. 
what is the nature of uh, immigration what is the visa that your client is here on how many years your client has been here are they um, are they permanent citizens are they permanent residents are they naturalized citizens all of this will tell you a lot have the, uh, is california the first state that they immigrated to or they have traversed through different parts of united states before coming to california all of this will give you a lot of important clues on how to work with this client um definitely do inquire about their support system uh, understand if they are here with their extended family or are they here alone if they have family are uh, is the family based in california or are they in different parts of united states who, who, what is the friend circle are they all south asians do they have uh, other uh, ethnicities in their friend circle what is the dynamic it is very very important to understand that the other important point that i would like to highlight today is definitely try to understand the acculturation what is the level of acculturation of your client um and at sahas we uh, follow berry's model we try to segregate our clients into different buckets of acculturation uh, we try to understand um like if uh, he or she is falling in the separation category that means that the client has not uh, not accepted the host culture they are still very much south asian indian pakistani they want to um, associate it with what is happening back home more they watch indian televisions more um, they are spending a lot of time on the phone calls with their family and friends back home so they are totally although they are living in uh, united states but are very separated and why is it important or critical for a clinician to know so that you will be well prepared with your treatment plan that you will know that oh they don't speak english so i need to have a an interpreter before my session uh, the other category is integration where your client might uh, have uh, hit a perfectly right balance between uh, the home country culture and the host country culture and these clients mostly will be very comfortable with the language with the food with the with the system they will be the one who will seek health uh, either it's physical or mental because they want to understand they want to accept um the other is assimilation uh these category of clients will um will be very comfortable with the host culture they have uh, they might they mostly will be very comfortable with the language uh but they have cut themselves quite a bit from their home culture they don't want to associate with their home culture they'll try to adopt or put up the accent they want to give up everything that was south asian so that is the third category and the fourth one is marginalization where your client do not want to associate with either of the cultures home or host and they want to adopt to a completely third um, kind of uh, culture or mannerism so i would encourage that definitely try to do your history taking in detail before you um chalk your treatment plan with your client so thank you zeel i hope i answered absolutely um yeah i think with uh, your explanation especially the berries model it definitely um gives 
a clear picture as to where you can put your or be prepared. And these are the ways you can be prepared to treat your client, especially opening up the immigration dialogue and how important that is. Okay, so now that we've discussed the importance of immigration and how using Barry's model of graduation, you can be better prepared. Um, I kind of want to ask all of you, um, final question, what should providers know to be able to work successfully with South Asian families? Now we've talked, Dr. Simo, you've definitely talked about cultural sensitivity and being open to seeing certain concepts um, through your um, therapies. Uh, Mathab, you've talked about barriers where um, you know a South Asian client may be resistant to therapy or even be all in for the process because of certain barriers like patriarchy or just the the way they were grown up or their ties to the culture. And uh, last but not least, uh, Ms. Sahani, you've talked about how knowing um, the immigration process and their journey can impact and their impact can help uh, a therapist give better treatment to their client. But overall, if there's anything else you can add so that the client can, I mean, the therapist can, you know, have a successful journey with their client, then I would like to open up the panel. Yeah, I wanted to just go ahead and add that, um, one, that it's extremely important that we're here today having this conversation. It's so exciting to know that we're, we're creating these dialogues and these trainings that have been so uh, needed within our community. Um, and so it's just amazing that we're, we're to this point in the clinical, in the clinical field. Um, and I want to keep in mind and bear in mind for all of you who do run into any South Asian clients that you might be working with in the future, um, be culturally sensitive, be culturally competent, have that knowledge and the skill set in your head about and in your toolbox about this is what this client is bringing forward with their background. But then also remembering that each client is an individual, each story is unique and checking in with them um, and, and making sure, you know, you're, you're definitely meeting them where they're at and, and meeting their needs and, and not the opposite way. Um, so making sure that, you know, you're making, a, you're creating a space where the client is coming forward with their story on their own. Yeah, I would, um, I would just like to add to that, uh, uh, you um, very astutely, uh, you know, uh, rounded it off. Um, but uh, I would definitely say to have these positive therapeutic outcomes, you need to build a very strong therapeutic alliance with the client. And what all you said, uh, keeping that in mind so that you can build trust. Um, and it might take immense, because we need to realize it takes a client immense effort to be there because they are really overriding that generational conditioning to seek even mental health services. So I think it'll help to keep in mind that South Asian culture has a lot of strength for the, uh, you know, it, intrinsically because of its history, it's 5,000 years old. There is a sense of belonging, a generational continuity. It is rich with spiritual and cultural traditions and has contributed to stable family and successful, you know, uh, lives. So, 
And just so keeping that in mind and uh, all the positives and, you know, where you're coming from, uh, being aware of the first and second generation differences in the belief system to the clinicians can help with the integration and acculturation process. So pointing out the role of flexible boundaries when the right opportunity presents. So one has to be very patient in the uh, therapy diet at the, um, because just like it's been mentioned before, uh, first generation is coming from a collective social family and the second is coming from an individualistic and the needs of today. So providers with these understandings, I mean, can help the South Asian clients by having this very open stance to incorporate different outlooks that are not necessarily wrong, but pointing out where the beliefs become problematic and distorted and lead to these myriad of, uh, you know, different disorders. Beautifully said. I definitely, we can help. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Seema. Um, Metab, just a, a final um, question I had, um, especially since you brought up how women are more resistant because they haven't necessarily been accustomed to being verbal or having their voices spoken out. Does the gender of the therapist matter? Yes. And, and before I say yes, I want to say again, it's, it's, it's unique to each individual. Um, but I would say that create a space with your client and that therapeutic alliance to inquire, are you comfortable with a male or a female, or do you have a preference? Because, um, again, that shame and, and that, that concept of shame is so heavy within the, the, the culture, some females, some women might be reluctant to come forward and be open and vulnerable to, uh, for example, a male clinician and vice versa, whether it's a male client with a, with a female clinician there's that concept of fame and even uh, masculinity. A man doesn't want to go to a woman and, and express his emotions and things like that. So I think that hundred um, percent it, it's definitely situational, but inquiring with the client, again, meeting where they're at and saying, what do you prefer is, do you have a preference? And always, always bearing in mind that you might have clients that are survivors or victims of sexual assault or abuse. Um, and so making sure that you're checking in and making sure that, you know, your, your client is feeling safe in every capacity. Okay. Okay. And um, yeah, last but not, Ms. Sahani, did you have anything to add or would you like to summarize today's panel? Mm -hmm. um, yes. Um, and I have my share of final thoughts um, where, um, as we have already heard in our panel um, so far, that South Asian clients usually are comfortable addressing their issues to physical ailment than mental health. Um, they will postpone addressing any mental health concern till longest and will associate it to some social problem or social part of their life. So... So, um, so when a South Asian client reaches us, we know that it is close to the rock bottom. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, South Asian clients may um, have some community and language specific description to their symptoms. Um, and for example, in Hindi, um, Vari is commonly known as Chinta. And so they might, rather than as we, we know that depression is an English term and we don't have anything synonymous uh, that is commonly used in Hindi or Urdu. Um, so it's, they'll, they'll address it as chintarog. 
I have a lot of chinta. I have a lot of worry. Um, or the common uh, English, Hindi English mixed term can be tension. I have a tension rogue. I am in tension. So these are some very common expressions. Um, so a clinician can then, you know, expand on that. Uh, depending on the years of immigration and exposure to the culture, other than their own, presentation of South Asian clients may vary. Therefore, as a precautionary note a clinic, uh, to clinicians, please build rapport with clients before deciding on their diagnosis or treatment plan. And that's why my emphasis all through and through in this discussion has been history taking immigration, understand where they are coming from, what they have seen, what they have not seen. Um, and this will help you um, from staying away uh, or guarding yourself from either under or over diagnosing. Um, some expressions uh, may not mean the same with South Asian clients compared to the non-South Asian clients. The most common example is that when a client is not giving you eye contact, a clinician might think that they may be having low self-esteem, but if you refer to the client's cultural norm, you'll realize that it is common behavior to not give eye contact to someone with authority. This type of cultural awareness may bring competency in your practice with South Asian clients. Also, I would like to bring to your attention language and accent barriers. I would recommend uh, if you can avoid clinical terms or use simple layman terms when speaking uh, or, or when interacting with the South Asian clients and speak slowly because even if they do speak English, their proficiency might not be at par with you. So these are few, um, you know, departing or summarizing themes that I wanted to uh, share with you all. Um, and with that, thank you, Zeel. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Sahani. I think that added the cherry on top to this discussion. Um, with that being said, um, I think I'd like to just recap today's panel. So basically what this panel um, and its purpose was to give you a better understanding and a thorough understanding of common concepts of South Asian does not necessarily mean that we're we're um, kind of giving you a lee leeway to stereotyping as well. So please be wary of um, that. And um, yeah, just remembering that there's going to be a resistance to appearing vulnerable. And that might be a common concept as well as patriarchal mindset. These are some barriers. Um, remember that uh, for second generations too, uh, there's a generational impact and where there's a lack of boundaries and. And that also has an impact on um, whether they're born here or uh, in their home country. And most importantly, please inquire about their immigration journey with an open mind to cultural, um, you know, sensitive nuances that might appear while they speak.